0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But first, we welcome to the show manager and producer Rich Freeman of Code Entertainment. Rich started his career as an agent at Writers and Artists Agency, where he was head of the lit department there. And he moved to Paradigm in 2004 when Paradigm acquired Writers and Artists. Rich has since transitioned to management and producing as a partner at Code Entertainment, and he was recently named one of Studio System News' A-list managers and agents for upcoming writers, along with fellow Code partners, Rick Berg and Jeff Nagel. Welcome to the podcast, Rich. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here.
0: Let's just start from the very beginning. How did you get your start in the entertainment industry, and what inspired you to want to work in Hollywood?
1: Well... I uh, I was always interested in, in movies, I guess, is, is the short answer. The, the longer answer uh, is that I graduated from Emory University and uh, wanted to uh, move back to where I came from, Boston. And uh, I, I wanted to be close to home for the first few years after college and decided to uh, give it a shot in the local production business. Uh, so I ended up working uh, as a production assistant on commercials and corporate video and independent films. Uh, and some of the bigger Hollywood films that came to, to Boston in, in the 90s. And then uh, and I experienced all the different jobs uh, of a production, from production assistant to assistant director to production coordinator to what I eventually ended up doing mostly was, was being a grip and an electrician. Hmm. Um, I did that for four years, and then uh, realized uh, if I was going to really give it a go in this business, and I, this is my belief for writers and directors and everybody else, just my opinion, uh, you have to do it in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. in early 96, I packed my bags and drove west and uh, started temping for a number of months in L.A., uh, very, doing various things and ended up uh, getting a job as an assistant at uh, Writers and Artists in, uh, in uh, October 1996,
0: I think it was. Yeah, and worked your way all the way up to the head of the lit department.
1: You know, I did. I came into the business at, and at an agency at, a, at what I felt was a unique time where there really wasn't a mailroom program mm-hmm. and, in a, and, a, and a training program. So I was, I was immediately thrown onto a desk and uh, and I just immersed myself in that job. And then a year later, I went to the head of writers and artists and said, I'd like you to give me a chance. And she, after hemming and hawing for a little bit, said, okay. And then that's uh, sh- very shortly thereafter is when I sold my first spec script. And that's really what got my career going.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what is it about representation that sort of appealed to you coming from a background in production and coming from a degree in history? What is it about representation that drove you to become a lit agent, become a very prominent lit agent and now a lit manager?
1: I guess I, I guess like you'll hear from a lot of people, I, mm-hmm. I almost found it by accident, really. I, I didn't really intend to be a representative when I moved to L.A., I thought I wanted to work for a producer who had a deal at a studio or f- for a studio executive. Right. But uh, the people that I had met with when I first got out here, I, I did a lot of informational interviews with people and tried to learn about the various jobs and career tracks. And most everybody said, uh, if you want to uh, really learn this business from the inside out, go work at an agency. Right. So that's what I did. And I ended up starting to, uh, I read everything. I read all the contracts that came across my desk and I read all the client scripts and I started to interact with, with clients and, and hearing their, their stories and their frustrations and their triumphs. And I, I just, I just took to it. I just became interested in the people, the writers and directors are they're just very interesting people. I'm not a writer and director. That's not how my mind works. And, uh, I, I just got interested in, 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 in storytelling. Mm-hmm. What What really got me going initially as, as a representative was taking that person, and this is what all agents and managers probably have to do early on is you take a shot on a few people, and then once that person either makes their first spec sale or they could sell that first TV show or get that first job i mean that that's the rush right i mean that that's really what gets i think uh representatives excited about their work. Yeah, that's what we hear a lot. I mean, as an agent, it's more of the rush of, of the deal and being in the mix and we're trying to, uh, as a salesman, really more as a, I mean, it is as a rep, but, but initially it was more as, as a salesman. You, you, mm-hmm. you, as an agent, you're, making, you're trying to make as many sales in a week or in a month or in a year as you can. And that's really what, what drives it. And once you make one sale, the town, particularly at a studio, uh, at, least, at least it was in my case, When I made my first sale, the town starts to open itself up, meaning that people, when I was the new kid on the block, I started to get a lot of phone calls from studio executives and producers, and a lot of those people that were calling me then are actually running studios and production companies today.
0: Right. Now, you had mentioned sort of that rush of completing sales as an agent, and now you're a manager-producer, so you're sort of still in that arena, but sort of also in the sales arena from the other side, selling product as a producer to you, what do you find the biggest difference in terms of the job descriptions and responsibilities of being an agent versus a manager producer?
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's a great question. And um, I would say primarily the differences between being an agent and managers is volume. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really what it is as, as an agent, you represent, at least in my case, I represented 30 to 40 writers or directors at a particular time and then worked with another 20 to 25 people that the agency deemed important uh, or that I was asked to assist on. And then, as an agent, you have 10 meetings a week, whether a producer's coming up to me with a group of agents or a client or, or you're going out to the studios to cover a studio. Your day is just, just inherently a lot more hectic mm-hmm. because of that. As a manager, you're just you're much more focused on a smaller core group of, of people. You don't service anybody. You're working with your in my case I have twenty or twenty-five clients and I read every draft now and I have people come into my office and I, I want to hear I I hear ideas before they're written. I didn't do any of that as an agent. It's mm-hmm. just a much more personalized form of representation management versus the agency. They, I mean, that, that's the way the town is set up. Now, obviously, there are going to be some agents that you know, take care of their clients a little more personally than, than some others. Sure. But generally speaking, it's much more of a volume business.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you had mentioned you have you know, 20, 25 clients at a time currently as, as, as a manager uh, versus obviously the volume you deal with as an agent, both your clients and you know, sort of on a team and, and uh, servicing agency clients. In terms of finding new clients and sort of integrating them into your stable. Mm -hmm. What is, I mean, obviously agents and managers are always looking for for new talent. I mean, you're not going to turn away somebody who you find absolutely brilliant. But for example, it's often said that uh, the excuse, oh, I'm not really currently looking when an agent or manager tells to a prospective client, an aspiring screenwriter, is sort of a polite blow off.
1: Um, right. That that that's a fair, it's a fair statement. <laughs>
0: right. Um, but when it when it actually is true, for example, you find somebody that you think is talented, but maybe not the right fit. Is that something that you or you know other agents managers you know of would consider introducing to other referring to other agents managers? In other words, if well, an agent or manager came to you and said, "This is a pretty good writer. I don't think he fits for me," and you know, obviously, you know, I've got. Enough clients. Are you interested? Is that something that that managers and producers?
1: I, I listen. Everybody is different. I, I <laughs> I'll only speak you know oh, to, sure. to what I do in those situations. But I think there's certain universal truths to to, to, to things. And right, right. And if, if, for example, if if I get told by an agent or a manager, really more a manager uh, than an agent, but I'd have to ask the same question to the agent. If someone's saying, you know, I like this person, right. they're a really good writer. I don't have time for them, or I. Um, it's not for me. I always have to wonder. Well, why are you referring to? If you're not excited to want to represent them, you think you can make money off them. If you thought you were going to make a lot of money with them, and thought the person was really talented, surely you'd want to work with them. Right. So I generally am very skeptical when I get. And I have gotten those kinds of calls sometimes, mm-hmm. where people have said, "Hey, I, I, it doesn't fit for me, but do you want to take a look?" Mm-hmm. I'll take a, basically a perfunctory look. But I generally speaking, I probably wouldn't jump into. Those kinds of situations. For me, the, the clients definitely come from um, whether it's a, a producer mm-hmm. or a, a client. Mm-hmm. A client will have a, a writer friend that's maybe not happy with, with their current situation, or uh, a studio executive, uh, mm-hmm. an attorney. Uh the, the more, uh, I guess, traditional ways, I, I, we certainly read uh, a lot of, I, I certainly read query letters. I, I certainly don't take on a lot of that stuff. I don't request a lot of scripts. Right. But I certainly read all of the query letters, and my assistant reads a lot of the query letters. And uh, there are times where if, if a log line seems, sounds interesting to us, we'll definitely take a look at it. I'm much more open to that uh, as a manager than I was as an agent. Mm-hmm but it it's it really has to mostly come from referral because the volume is so great right The, the scripts that come in i I've learned through experience that generally speaking the unsolicited call to, or the email that gets sent when you've asked to see the script it doesn't work. It doesn't work out for you so yeah so i I would say most of my clients uh, since I've become a manager have come from either production company executives, studio executives, lawyers. Or, you know, even though there's a good new resource, Franklin Leonard's Blacklist mm-hmm. website certainly is a, is a good resource. I'm certainly a, a member of that site. I haven't signed anybody off of that site yet, but I, I think it's a, it's a viable tool for, for representatives.
0: Right. Well, and, and speaking of that, I mean, obviously, we get hear from a lot of newer screenwriters uh, always asking about the referrals and, and other ways in. And you had mentioned um, Franklin Leonard's Blacklist. Um, what are other resources, other than obviously the the big ones, the nickel, you know, obviously Austin. Are there any other sort of competitions or um, uh, online posting systems like SpexGas, stuff like that, or any of the other ones that you use or would recommend, or that you think are
1: useful? Not really. I mean, this is this is always the the question. I used to mm-hmm. speak on quite a bit of panels, few panels when I was an agent. Mm-hmm. This is always the hardest thing, and I know this is what writers want the answers to, which right. is how do you get how do you get an agent? How do you get a manager? How, how do you do that? And after 18 years, if somebody could give me a good answer, I'd, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I mean, really, because right. it happens by accident a lot of the times. It's because a friend of a friend, you know, or a dentist of a, of a friend or, or what have you, you get to them. You, and I really do believe this. You, you, not, not only do you find the representative and the writer and, or director or whoever it is, has to really be resourceful, but I, I do believe that talent will find its way through the clutter. I, I, right. I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the Sam Goldwyn screenwriting competition and Nichols for sure, but I don't follow a lot of the, uh, of the spec tracking sites. Mm-hmm. There's only so many hours in a day.
0: Right. No, I got you. And you know, you have your own clients to, to deal with. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of managing your clients, I mean, how does the workload differ in terms of breaking a new writer versus managing the career of an established writer?
1: Oh, well, very different, actually. Yeah. It's a lot more work to break a, a writer, a new writer, than it is to get, find existing work for an established writer mm-hmm. because I don't have to explain who an established writer is to a producer or a studio executive. They're generally going to know of that client's work and whether that client is they think is right or whether they're going to... I mean, I just, for example, I just got a... Book adaptation in for a client, meaning when I say that uh, a project that's set up at Warner Brothers, that's a book that's looking for a writer. Well, the producer knows the writer mm-hmm. and, and the guy's established and I um, he hasn't written for Warner Brothers in a little while, but he still is, is uh, has a long track record. They don't have to educate anybody on him. So in that regard, it's a lot easier. Now, that can obviously work against you as well. I mean, you might have a client, and we all have them as agents and managers, who uh, maybe hasn't worked in a while, and, and perhaps uh, when you mention them to a producer or studio, they're like, okay, great, who else do you got? They, they know who it is, and they know they don't want that person. Whereas sometimes, uh, buyers are, are looking for the new kid on the block. It's a little bit different in breaking those people because you really do have to blanket the town. You hope to have – if there's a script that a, a young writer or less established writer has written – that can garner attention, mm-hmm. uh, they, that can be used as a calling card. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs a calling card. Right. Uh, that even if it doesn't sell, a studio uh, or a uh, a group of production company executives get behind it and want to meet the writer. And then they take the meeting with the writer. And then sometimes they'll have something internally that you know they don't want to spend any money on or that the studio's not buying, but they need to write it to develop a spec with and i've gotten people going based on that i've gotten people going based on hey we don't have any it's a non-wga deal but we'll pay 10 grand to who do you have and they read somebody and it's a young person's first way in Mm -hmm. and and now they have a script that somebody paid for but it's it is a much much different process of getting uh i think the best way Mm -hmm. is somebody writes a commercial script that you can get to a lot of people in a short period of time and Either you sell it, that's the quickest way, or you send the script out that gets really good feedback and executives meet and perhaps you get a writing assignment that way, more difficult today than it was when I first started, Mm -hmm. Um, or you develop something Internally, with a with a production company who who believes in you, mm-hmm. or frankly, you you try television,
0: right? And that's something that I heard you specifically look for writers who are interested in working in both film and television. Why is that specifically a focus for you when looking at potential clients?
1: It's economics is really what it is. I think in this day and age, in the in the entertainment business, very different again than when I started, where I was exclusively a movie person for many many years. Mm-hmm. But certainly since I became a manager in the last five and a half six years. Uh, television is has really, it's really the golden age, I, would feel, I feel right now, with right. all the new outlets from the Sundance channels to the FXs to uh, Hulu to you know, Sony Crackle to Netflix to Xbox, all these places, AMC, that weren't making shows 10 years ago, they are now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a writer needs to be involved in both worlds doesn't mean I'm not going to represent someone who doesn't want to do television, but I'm going to be more interested in somebody who's, who's going to be interested in both mediums.
0: Right. You right. Just,
1: it's, just, it's, too, it's too hard out there today. You have to want to do both. And some of the best writing you know, is being done in television, more, more so than, than it even features these days. Absolutely. And so, again, it doesn't mean I'm going to not represent somebody, but I think I'd probably be more interested today in somebody that is writing both.
0: Right. And you had mentioned earlier about Los Angeles. This comes up a lot, writers mm-hmm. saying, do I need to be in LA, do I need to be in LA? And for the most part, the people that, that we speak to, almost across the board say, yes, if you want a career. You can sell a spec from pretty much anywhere as long as there's an internet connection, but if you want a career, it's infinitely more difficult. And it's infinitely difficult as it is, but it's infinitely more difficult if you're not in LA. What, what's your take on that? Clients who yeah, great, aren't in Yeah, great LA?
1: question. I am of the belief that you need to be in L.A. This is where the business is. This is where everything happens. You are going to run into people all over the city who are involved in the entertainment business in some way, and you just never know who you're going to meet. And I'm really more speaking specifically to people that haven't cracked the system. Right. If you're from New York and you have a track record 10 years or 5 years of writing features and you sold your spec and... You're, you haven't had a movie or two made, you can do it any way you want. That's, I'm more speaking specifically to people who haven't cracked the system. Right. To, to, to be living in Miami or in you know, Chicago or New York, for that matter, and you haven't cracked the system, doesn't mean you can't. It's just you're going to be behind the people that are, that are here, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's because the film business becomes so localized in, in the city of Los Angeles. And whether you're in a writer's group or it's the ability to take a meeting in 12 hours or 24 hours notice. You, you can't do that if you don't live in Los Angeles,
0: right? And you have
1: to, particularly in the beginning of your career, be able to do those things, right? So I'm a strong believer, and I and I say that to you because I've I've experienced with this. Uh, <laughs> I've represented many people over the years that haven't lived here that weren't established, and they don't do as well as the people generally, not always, as the people that do live here. And, and you're just are going to be constantly in what I would say that the Los Angeles mix uh, and of, of information and constantly meeting people because you just never know who you're going to run into here. Mm-hmm.
0: And meetings, meetings get constantly rescheduled. You're getting constantly called for meetings. Even if you're here for three weeks every six months, you can't cram everything possible in those in that time period.
1: That's right. The other thing is, if, even if you sold a, a project or two and you don't live here and mm-hmm. you're competing with a number of writers for that job, and you can't be here. Not every time can a, a writer uh, on their own dime fly themselves out from wherever they sure. live to compete for a job. They have to do it on Skype now or just on telephone. Right. Well, you're, you're at a big disadvantage for the people that are physically in Los Angeles who are going to be in a room right. talking to a, a studio executive and a producer eye, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, telling them their take and being able to read the room. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear probably a lot of different answers from various representatives. It, that's been my experience.
0: Seems like that's pretty much the consensus. Although some, you know, are a little more flexible because again, you can sell a spec from anywhere. But again, to build a career, I think Jake Wagner put it sort of in that frame. You can sell a spec from anywhere, but to sort of, uh, if you want to build a career as a screenwriter, not having sold a screenplay, but build a career as a screenwriter, you kind of have to be in LA.
1: Period. I think I would agree with that 100%. And once you establish yourself and you've consistently working, if you want to move out of the sure. state, you could probably do that at that right. point.
0: Now, I wanted to mention a little bit about producing because, as an agent, obviously that's a no no, but as a manager, that definitely comes with the territory. Now, when is it that, as a manager, you transition to producer on a specific project?
1: Um, I think uh, when I first became a manager, I, I was very careful at what I don't do is just because I represent a writer that I'm just going to attach myself as a producer and you really have to bring value. And what mm-hmm. does that mean? If I, if, particularly on a script that maybe has been around for a few years that I've always been passionate about, mm-hmm. if I start to spend a lot of time trying to find financing or put a director on or, uh, or an actor or even another producer, I should be compensated for that. Sure. And there are projects that I've been working on since I've been here for the last five years that I've gotten close on and some might be moving forward and others aren't going to move forward. But uh, on, in those cases, clients uh, have no problem and they actually want you to be involved as a producer because you're their eyes and ears and they know no one else is working on it mm-hmm. right now. And so uh, in that regard, I, I'm excited on to, to jump in as a producer on some of these projects. There are other projects that I know aren't going to go anywhere and uh, either they just sit on the shelf or if somebody comes up with a new script it's it's much more important that that you sell it a script that, than as a manager just say hey you know save the ten percent I'll be a producer and I'll be your eyes and ears I, I don't do that uh, at all I just I don't think that's right I mean some managers I know do that and that's their affair and you know God bless them they can do it I, I feel like you have to be adding some kind of value right uh, and that means wh- whether you've in, from inception from the idea when they sent you the log line, That you start to, and then you read a a, a treatment, and then a first draft, a second draft, a third draft, and and then you're ready to show it to people. It's maybe more warranted in in that situation. But if somebody just says, Hey, I've got a spec that I want you to read that I just wrote, and you think it's good, I I don't just generally attach myself to that kind of thing. Same in television. If somebody says, I have a, a pitch that I want to take around, I'm not going to attach myself to a producer to a pitch that's already been well developed. But if somebody says, Can I come into your office and let's talk about television ideas and I work from inception and I get invested in it, then in some cases I I will want to be involved Mm -hmm. more directly as a producer. It just depends on the situation. Right. I
0: think that was a good explanation. And again, going back to sort of producing and production, something that you had mentioned sort of before the interview started when we were talking that I thought I would love to bring up again is your background coming from production itself and how that helps you represent director clients because of you speak the language because you had mentioned that you had done a lot of production work, you know, as a, even a grip electric. Um, yeah. Can you a little touch base a little bit on that?
1: What I think it's a very valuable tool to have uh, as a representative to have experience working on sets, not going to sets and visiting a client right. and just sitting by the monitor, but actually uh, having been a production assistant and a coordinator and, and an AD on certain things and, and mostly as a grip and electrician on, commercials and independent films, I can feel like I can speak the language of directors and even help writers in dealing with producers and independent financiers when they say what something's going to cost. And I feel like with my, my background, it's, I, I can be helpful in, in explaining the production process to to directors who, you know if they've directed anything, they'll, they'll know something about it, but writers who may not know as much about it it's been a, it's just, it's a great education to have as, as a representative to to know something about uh, the production process.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And as a manager and producer, I think it's also helpful because, you know, again, a majority of representatives, their entire experience is in office on the phone and that, and that's,
1: that. That's right. That's uh, right. And I, my, and my, by the way, my, the other thing I should mention is that, uh, you yeah, know, my partners here at, mm-hmm. at, at code, um, our physical producers as well. Uh, one of my partners is actual uh, a line producer in the, in the DGA, and we also, you know, we finance uh, movies here, and we also line produce our own movies. So being in those rooms and meetings when we're, when we're finishing films and talking about what things are going to cost, it's uh, it's it's been like graduate school for me for the last five years, <laughs> learning about the independent film process. I, I thought I knew a lot about it. And I was an agent, but once you sit in rooms and meet with foreign sales agents and financing people and uh, and learning about uh, the production process, it's it's a very different animal than what agents and most management managers are gonna are gonna see right. on a daily basis. Because this, I'm not aware there might be one or two other management companies. I'm not sure that have financing to make films, mm-hmm. but it's rare.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And touching base on that, actually, that you bring that up is. Producing outside projects, meaning not a client of code, uh, mm-hmm. and not coming from somebody who brings something else to the table, meaning like coming from another management company sort of bringing a client, but bringing other attachments that helps in the financing process, but coming from an outside just a screenwriter bringing a project, is that something that code would do?
1: Yeah, it, it is. I mean we absolutely in fact, um, if I understand your your question correctly. Mm-hmm. We we actually uh, haven't produced any of our clients' scripts. Oh, okay. I mean, we've submitted them, um, mm-hmm. but you know, for whatever reason, sometimes they, they fit and and sometimes they don't. And, and mm-hmm. just it's just turned out that we haven't produced any of our clients' uh, projects. So yeah, so we we get submitted. and I, I get a lot of projects submitted to, to me as well, mm-hmm. projects from management, other managers, and from producers saying, hey, you know, we have this project. This is the director. This is the budget. Uh, we know you have money to make it here. Sometimes it's an actor attached, sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's no director attached. It's a right. naked script. You know, can you take a look and let us know if it's something that you want to meet and code should finance us? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we get those calls all the time. Okay. Absolutely. And, and yes, we will absolutely, if it makes sense, you know, get involved with a non-client project.
0: Cool. Now, we have a few listener questions, which I want to throw your way. The first one being, is there a best time or day of the week to query?
1: <laughs> good question uh yeah i don't think so really yeah. yeah maybe a monday morning i guess uh or friday afternoon if somebody's in the office right uh probably to tuesday to thursday are, are times that are mostly either you're out of the office at meetings or you're on the phone or you're just busy with your daily things that you're doing right but so i don't i don't know if there's really a uh a good time for most agents and managers, I I don't really believe that. Mm-hmm. I certainly have looked at queries at one o'clock when I don't have a lunch at, uh, at times, and you know nine o'clock at night when uh, when I'm home, when I'm looking at my iPad. Right. I don't think there's any set kind of time or, or of day or, or any particular day.
0: Right. And that's the only thing that I have heard, because everyone is different. Everyone schedules different. But the one thing I have heard is is try not to query late. Because or super, super early because a lot of times, uh, I, mean, I don't know if this is the case for you, but it's attached to their iPhone or their Blackberry or whatever, and emails go through, and querying at 3 in the morning is not necessary. Yeah,
1: I guess if you query at 3 in the morning and a person wakes up at 6.30 or 7, whatever it is they get up, and they look at their emails and they see a query letter, then you know, they'll probably read it at that point. Right. Yeah, I would say if at noon is probably not the best time to send a query.
0: Yeah, no, I actually heard that like 3 a.m. is not good if it wakes them up and
1: they get angry. Well, if it wakes them up, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I, 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 I have all my, everything's on silent, so right uh, it, it wouldn't oh, wake good. me up, yes. but it would, meaning that if i once I get up and once and I look at the iPad or iPhone and I see what my emails are uh that I, 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 it shows up right
0: and then here's one: can you use a feature spec as a writing sample for t v staff jobs
1: I don't think so again everybody's going to give you a different sure. answer, although I think I'm right when I say this right Gen- generally speaking. Uh, they want to see that you can write uh, something original. If you're for staffing, uh, more so now than ever, in my opinion. Uh, they want to see: Have you written a, uh, an original pilot? They want to see your voice. Uh, most will say they'll read uh, a spec uh, features, and I think some will, but I would say most would prefer to read a TV sample for for sure. staffing. That's that's my opinion. Right. And yeah. why
0: start off at a disadvantage? Right.
1: I just think the people you're competing against for those jobs, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those people already have been staffed in the past. And, and a lot of these writers for television, that's all they do mm-hmm. is write television. They don't cross back and forth. Right. So you're competing against people who exclusively work in television. So particularly, if it's a, listen, if it's a script that either was produced or sold for a lot of money or got a lot of attention, yeah, then I think there's always going to be those cases where I think feature samples are going to be just fine. Sure, Generally sure. speaking, it's much preferable preferable to have a, uh, a TV sample.
0: And talking about TV samples, there's always the back and forth of having an original pilot versus a spec in terms of writing samples. Is it important for TV writers to have both a pilot and specs or is one or the other good enough? In other words, if they have a great pilot, but no specs, TV specs, or if they have TV specs, but no original pilot, is that okay?
1: I think it's great to have both, but if I had to choose between one or the other, and there was only one or the other, I would definitely go for an original spec Mm -hmm. pilot, because that has changed a lot. When I first became an agent, I was was a TV agent for the first year and a half, and spec, um, like Seinfeld at the time, or uh, Sopranos, or CSIs, those were good. Back in those days, I think there's been a dramatic shift to from those kinds of scripts to original pilots. I think these television executives want to see an original voice. Sure. They don't want to see you copying somebody else's show, mm-hmm. particularly for, for staffing. I think they, if they're going to hire somebody. I think they want to see that. Right. Um, I, I can tell you, and I'm not in that world on a daily basis, so a television agent or a specific television manager might tell you something different. But the clients that I have with agencies that are up for staffing this year, when I see those letters that are coming my way when I'm being copied on them and then making submissions, they're mostly pilots. Mm -hmm. They they really are. So I I think that's the way to go if you have to choose one or the other. It's nice to have both, but if you have to choose, I would say a pilot script, something original. Gotcha.
0: Now, here's a question. It's sort of a a long one. I'm kind of going to read it as is because it's got a lot of moving pieces, so to speak. Okay. Uh, It's from one of our uh, frequent listeners, Clint. He says, because managers interviewed in the past make clear that they are interested in developing the writer and not just selling a single spec script, I'm curious what the bar is for bringing on a new writer as a client. Must concept and execution be perfect or at least an eight on a scale of one to 10? What if the writing is really good, but the story needs tweaking, developing? The question comes from personal frustration from getting several emails like this, quote, I took a look at the script, and although I thought it was well written, it's not going to be for me, just not my zone, end quote. It, now, I'm willing to concede that such responses could be typical Hollywood sugar-coated, you suck,
1: <laughs> but there's a
0: consistency in the passes, uh, and the script got, itself got some love as one of the favorites of the screenplay mechanics. How does a manager decide a writer is good enough to develop? So that's basically the all-encompassing question, I guess, is how does a manager decide a writer is good enough to develop?
1: I think you're going to get a lot of different answers, mm-hmm. but uh, I think, and, and this is going to speak to more, uh, I think, of what's happening in, in the town today. And I'm, so I'm going to try to be brief, but it's going to be hard to, to do that. Yeah. And if I trip over my words, I apologize in advance. <laughs> I think there's been a fundamental shift in the thinking of representatives since the WJ strike mm-hmm. from 2007. That has changed the game 100%, in my opinion. There used to be 500 writing assignments out there and now there's 200. Mm -hmm. And where uh, Warner Brothers or Sony would have 50 to 100 open writing assignments, now they've got 15 to 25 Mm -hmm. real assignments. Whereas studios used to rely more on the spec script, they're relying much more now on um, the Da Vinci Code type stuff, the Fifty Shades of Grey, the Harry Potter book, Mm -hmm. the uh, Marvel character, the Disney ride, the old TV show that they want to make into a movie, et cetera, et cetera, meaning underlying uh, IP. And as a result, that's where the, the money is with the studios. And those assignments are what I've just said. Well, or maybe it's the, the hangover in, in the case of a comedy. Meaning that, so the studios want to hire people that can write scope, that can uh, write big on a bigger canvas, and that 's generally why I think today representatives are are passing on those the example that you just gave to me mm-hmm. um, now that said there 's always going to be those those exceptions. If a script is well, eight out of ten, yeah, I would take a shot on eight out of a ten if they 're writing a tiny little movie it 's going to be harder i 'm going to admit that uh, it, because not because of me it 's because of what i 'm told as a seller why you know, it's very hard to get those kinds of people going and and the economics of taking and this is what writers should try to understand is a uh, taking on somebody that's going to take three or four years to get going and maybe it is a business uh, I, I can't afford to spend countless hours developing a writer who I think is really good again I'm speaking from experience I've done this in the past spending two or three years on somebody who writes really well but writes on a very small canvas and I make you know, $2,500 in commission after three years. Well, if I've put in hundreds of hours to try to either get that person exposed in the town and set meetings and send out scripts, and after two or three years, I only made $2,500, I've lost money. And I think that's probably what you're getting that, in that specific case. Uh, a writer, when they get a response like that, that's what they're saying. I think the representative is saying, good writing is not blowing me away as a, as a, as a writing sample, and it's just not a big enough uh, movie to, for me to be interested in to see something else. If I read something that I thought was a 9 or a 10, but it was tiny, I'd meet them. I'd want to I'd work with them. I, I certainly have several cases and current clients that I actually work with now that started off that way, but the writing was that good, and the, that's going to be rare. That's going to be once a year once or maybe a couple times a year if you're lucky generally speaking these days for me I want to know that somebody can write a commercial idea and execute it a 8 out of 10 yeah, maybe even a 7 out of a 10 but if you get below 7 you, you, it's, as a newer writer probably going to be harder and I think that's the truth of, of the matter I mean most of these representatives um, we get paid by the studios that's how it works you know, independent film, yes, I've certainly made decent money uh, getting movies made for clients over the years with independent film, but that takes years to get off the ground. Now, you certainly can write a, a movie like Juno, and it's a small little movie that becomes a big deal, and you know, that writer now um, is, is, a, is one of the biggest writers in Hollywood, so it certainly can happen that way, but it's rare, and I certainly often hear that from a lot of writers. Well, it's like Juno. Well, it's like No Country for Old Men. Well, it's like... You know, this or that. Well, yeah, you heard about that, but you didn't hear about the hundreds of other scripts in that particular genre that went nowhere, that didn't sell. So the vast majority of those kinds of scripts don't go anywhere, and you can't make money off of it. And while I'm interested in developing uh, new uh, new talents and, and see it thrive, uh, at the end of the day, it's still a business. And I have to focus most of my time and energy on uh, writers who can Execute a commercial idea and do it well, as opposed to someone who is writing about the, uh, their hometown experience in some town in, you know, Oklahoma, and it only speaks to a small number of people. It might be very well written, sure. but what do you do with that? Right. So I, I think that's maybe more of a long-winded answer. But I think generally speaking, when you, uh, when a when a writer like that gets the answer that he got, what that means is it's just not good enough. To want to jump into number one and number two it's just not a commercial enough idea or it wasn't it's not a big enough movie to want to jump in i I think that's i mean it's harsh i know but i think that's the reality because i'd send those same emails
0: right right you said it was long-winded but no that was actually a very well thought out and and detailed answer for a question that's constant you know that we get all the time so no i appreciate that
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a, a question that I've heard before, mm-hmm. it, but it, it is, it, and I know agents and managers. Probably agents get it worse than the managers, but you know, agents sometimes don't have the best reputation when it comes to this. Right. But it, but I must say, it's it's simple economics. It's too hard in the town today to work with you know writers that just don't want to you know listen. <laughs> And some don't. Some just you know, feel like, well, let's go get Tom Cruise or let's go get you know, Ryan Gosling or let's go get um, XYZ director that's gonna, you know, it's one of the biggest directors. Well, I, I hear what you're saying and you're one of hundreds of people that say that same thing, but that director has 50 you know, offers a month or 10 offers a month, whatever it may be, right. and the chances of, of putting something together is not great. Right. So why why not... Uh, for the lack of a better word, why not sell out in the beginning? Get, mm-hmm. Try to get a career going. If you, if you really want to make a go of this business, find an idea. You know, read a lot. Read magazines. Watch movies. See what, uh, see what movies are making money. Uh, if you're interested in this business, you should be reading Variety or going on deadline uh, mm-hmm. and seeing the grosses, and you'll, you'll see what the studios are making, and you should act accordingly.
0: Right. No, absolutely. That's good advice. Now, we're sort of running short on time. We've got a quick mm-hmm. section called Rapid Fire, and then I'm going to throw a few questions your way. If you're ready, who would you rather have introduce you at an award show? Sir Richard Attenborough or Morgan Freeman?
1: Morgan Freeman. No no question. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he was God after all, you know.
0: Um, favorite code, Morse, UPC, or Java?
1: <laughs> I'll go with Morse.
0: Nice. Uh, which fellow Emory alum would you rather have over for dinner? Legendary golfer Bobby Jones, if you were still alive, that is. The, okay. Indigo, the Indigo Girls, or man versus food host Adam Richman? Uh,
1: I would definitely say Bobby Jones because I'm a golfer. Nice. Uh,
0: and finally, Celtics, Bruins, Pats, or Red Sox?
1: has to be the Red Sox. I love all of them, but Red Sox have to be number one.
0: I, I think probably nine out of ten Bostonians would say that same thing, probably.
1: I just, part of it is that I, I've been to that park so many times as a yeah. kid. Growing up, and uh, it, it, it there's such a mystique mm-hmm. in in the city of Boston for, for that club because of, of of the Babe Ruth of it all in the eighty years or so that they didn't win a championship, and mm-hmm. so it, it was just part of the culture growing up. Not the other not that the other teams weren't. It's just right. there's just a little more of a of a soft spot I think in most Bostonians' hearts for the for the Red Sox.
0: And I think that every city has its own like no matter what. L.A. is a Laker town, and I think Boston, you know, Chicago is, is a Bears town. No matter how well the Bulls do, and they've done much better than the Bears, it's, it's yeah. the Bears town, and I think Boston is a Red Sox town, and I think the Celtics I, I, would tell you that too. In the Patriots.
1: I, I, I think so, and, and, and I would say Boston fans are pretty rabid when it comes to most of, mm-hmm. all of their sports teams, I would say, but if you had to choose, and it's not easy, but if you had to choose, I, I do think it's the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, and Fenway is one of those legendary parks. You can probably pick them out on one hand. Yeah, you know the Wrigley Field, you know Fenway. I'm trying to think of any other baseball park because the old
1: they're you know, all gone. Like, yeah, they have yeah, all, been all gone. Gone. They've all been torn down. Yeah, yeah. So You're right, it'd be Wrigley and Fenway right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's it, really.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Oh, and maybe if you include the, the Trop down in uh, Tampa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and do you have any last thoughts or advice for aspiring screenwriters?
1: I think the only thing I could say, and I know this is cliche, you, you got to keep writing. the The notion that you can write one or two scripts and then your job is done is a silly notion. It just hmm. you got to keep writing. If you write one and it doesn't sell, write the second. If it doesn't sell, you write the third. Right. If you want to be a professional writer, you, you write. And if you have to go work at a bar, or if you got to you know be a, a waiter or a waitress, or work at a, at a hotel, or do some kind of phone sales. To make it work for you, if you want to be in this business and you want to be a professional screenwriter, you write. Right. And um, that's the only thing I can, I can really say. Um, and hopefully, you can. You're, you're talented.
0: Yeah, I, and I just wanted to quickly touch on that because uh, I, I spend some time on on Done Deal Pro, the forums there, or on Reddit, and you'll always, invariably, once in a while, you'll see someone pop up. I just finished my first screenplay. Where do I go to sell it? Like, there's a line. That you can just get in line with your script and you sell it. How many? Times have you heard of or been part of a screenwriter for the very first their very first screenplay ever that they've ever written being sold?
1: Not not one time. I mean, I, I've I've actually as a as a representative taken out a, a first script uh, oh. that that we tried to sell, um, but it wasn't their first screenplay.
0: Right, that's what I'm talking about. The first screenplay Right, that no, a, actually, a, yeah.
1: a first script. I know some people have done that. I, I personally, in my 18 years, haven't done it. Right. <laughs> Um, I've never sold uh, a, a script that came to me that was a very first screenplay that there was no other screenplay that they've ever written. Right. Not that I can remember off the top of my head. There, there might be, uh, might have been a case I might have optioned a script too, but in terms of a big spec sale, I would say no.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of the the stories that you hear, not that there are that many, are probably hyperbole. You know, for publicity's sake, they may say, oh, you know, I started the two or three scripts, but this is the one that you know, this is my first script, or something like that, or they may have come from another writing field, like they may be a novelist or an author or, you know, a playwright and then writing their first screenplay. That's a little different story, though, I think.
1: Yeah, g- generally, most writers who are very successful in this town, and it really is the truth, mm-hmm. have written many, many scripts before mm-hmm. they actually sold their first or gotten their first gig. Right. It's just, that's a fact. I mean, right. any of these, ask any of very prominent screenwriter or, or television writer in town, and they're going to tell you that.
0: Yeah, and that's a question we actually ask in our written interviews sometimes. Uh, Where's your fir- what's the log line to your first screenplay you ever wrote and where is it right now and you, you, the the answers you hear are pretty funny they're always in desk drawers or you know never to see the light of day or I'd have to kill you if I told you that kind of stuff so
1: well because I think most writers will admit that their first scripts weren't very good
0: right No, absolutely
1: I mean and that's really the issue more than anything else. Is that yeah? You know, it's it's look. I'm not. I'm definitely. I admit it. it it's hard. It's mm-hmm. it's not easy to be a screenwriter. It takes a unique person to to be successful at it. Right. But um, but y- you have to. You really have to hone the craft, and you got to continue to write and be in writers' groups if you're if you're out here. And when you don't sell something, look. I mean, generally speaking, I I would say uh, most representatives that have been around a little bit. Are pretty good at what they do. I mean, everybody has their differences and. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with sitting in a room with a potential client and connecting in some way and um, being about to of a regular conversation and being direct with a potential client, that, that kind of thing. So there are going to be nuances in that way. Um, but generally speaking, uh, if somebody's been doing this for a little while and they know the, the town, um, it, it, if you're not working and you're not getting money, it, it's because the, the representatives just couldn't – it's not that they didn't try. They did. They couldn't sell you. Right. And so you write the next one. Uh, and, and you keep writing until, and I certainly have had cases like that over the years, where it took. Yeah, uh, in this, I can think off the, off the top of my head, a, a client who had worked several times in, in movies and wasn't working as much in movies anymore, and started to write spec pilots. Took him right. four tries. We huh. finally sold one, and then he's been he's written five in a row. Right. So, and he's now a well-established pilot writer. Right. So, um, but he didn't sit and write one pilot, didn't sell. And then say, oh, fuck, I'm going back to, excuse my language, uh, <laughs> it's okay. and, say, and say, I'm going back to the movies. Right. He, he, gave, he kept at it. And that's right. what you've got to do as a writer. You persist. You persevere mm-hmm. and keep writing.
0: Right. The 10-year overnight success story.
1: That's exactly right. There really is a lot of truth to it. Yeah.
0: Uh, Really great talking to you today, Rich. I appreciate you coming on the show. You bet, man. Uh, You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich9869. uh, And check out their website, CodeEntertainment.com. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Scribes. There's no and in the middle there. Just at Scribes And on Facebook, Facebook slash Inscribes. Thanks for listening.